I'm Steve Joel. Thanks for joining me. This is episode three of the second series of my podcast, 40K Game Changers, in which we get to know people who've changed the way we Warhammer. This one's a bit overdue. Sorry about that. Um, all right, so let's let's do our thing, man. First Aussie on the show. Glad to be here. What's your rest of your day? Yeah. Say g'day, g'day, mate. You know, people are always surprised if you go overseas. You say g'day to people and they're like, wow, you actually say that. It's definitely something that we say. We say um, there's also a number of other things that we uh, that we say as well that I'll, I'll try and keep off the air. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, <laughs> that'd be good. <laughs> Family show and all that. In this episode, we meet one of the pioneers of the modern 40K scene in Australia, a man who's taking on some big work internationally now too, in the stats space. And we learn a lot about Aussies. If a word is long, we will shorten it. If it's short, we will lengthen it. Yeah. If there's no logic, there is no logic. No. <laughs> we'll also hear some great stories from Australia's first foray into the ETC. Now, does anyone have a question? I put my hand up and I said, oh, are we allowed to drink? Uh, at, at, at the venue and uh, they said as long as we can't see what you're drinking then it's fair game This podcast is brought to you by the team at the Frontline Gaming Network. Please go check out the other amazing podcasts on the network My friends Seth and Kicker and Shelby along with Val and John and Danny are all working super hard to bring you amazing content every single week All you have to do Tune in. Right, let's properly introduce this week's game changer. He's a stats nut who created Down Under Pairings. He was one of the driving forces in getting the Australian team to the ETC and he captained the Australian team. He was one of the pioneers along with Adam Camilleri in bringing us regular tournament coverage. He's also the tech behind some of the biggest, best known folks in 40k. He goes by Diffster. I know him as Joshua Diffie. Josh, thanks for being with us, mate. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It sounds sounds all weird finally being on this uh, this side of the uh, podcast and um, yeah. and hearing an intro on myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny, right? And um, it's it's cool. I love having people, and I don't. People won't know how the show is recorded and recorded and edited, but I always like having people on the line to hear the intro because the, the big part of the show is celebrating careers, celebrating the hobby you know, really celebrating what people have been able to achieve in the time they've been involved. So it's nice to, I think, nice for you and for the people on the other end of the phone to have it reflected back how they are seen by the community. So I appreciate let- it. It's it's also, uh, it, it also just goes to show I didn't, uh, I didn't write my own intro. I'll tell you, I'll t- you know, I'll tell no. the audience that right now. It's, uh, it goes to show the amount of effort you go into to, to your guests and getting an idea of, of what they've done. Well, let's let's kick off the research fact, facts and, and figures straight away because what I love about you that I found out in my research is that you may be also the first guest that's been to New Zealand. In 2012, it looks like you bought your Grey Knights to play at Fields of Blood, which is a tournament that still runs in Wellington in New Zealand, which is where I live. So Yeah. Yeah, so I think um, I've been to Kiwiland for Warhammer twice. Yeah. Uh, Fields of Blood was the the first time I I went over there, and uh, it was the first time in a long time that the Australians, 
that came over, the Australian contingent, won the Battle of the Ditch. Wow, really? Uh, and what? for those that don't know what that is, Australia and New Zealand, while while I think when when we go somewhere else, yeah. um, we're good allies. But when yeah. it's just the two of us, we tend to be rivals on about anything you can possibly be a rival yeah. on. Yeah, um, everything and anything. So it's it's almost I wanted to, I think for people around the world, the closest comparison would be uh, the USA Canada. Like, and uh, New Zealand being yep. the Canadian part of that, the smaller kind of cousin. Um, uh, Actually, that's, that's a great analogy because how many you know Canadians probably get upset when they get called um, from the US, and uh, New Zealanders probably don't like oh, yeah. being called Australian. Yeah, I think Aussies are <laughs> Aussies are bigger. You know, Aussie being the bigger country and the senior cousin probably doesn't care. They just like let it wash off. But if you call New Zealanders Australian, you're in for a bit of bother. So yeah, <laughs> but so you've come to New Zealand. You competed at Fields of Blood, and I want to say um, that 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 was right at the beginning of your getting into the tournament scene. It looks like you kind of started tournament playing around 2010. Is that about right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, pretty much bang on. So 2010 was uh, when I started playing competitive uh, 40k. Um, I have the fairly standard run-of-the-mill story. I played 40k as a kid. I grew out of it. I got back into it a little bit as a teenager. didn't have money, so got out of it. (laughs) (laughs) And then as an adult, um, was walking past a games workshop store and thought, oh, I might poke my head in. Uh, And thought, oh, well, let's let's check what's what's changed. Uh, And I played mainly 40k when I was younger. I dabbled in a little bit of uh, Skaven. Uh, and in um, what was Warhammer Fantasy at the time, and the the, the gentleman uh, at the the Games Workshop store uh, suggested that I get into Demons because if I hadn't, if I was on the fence, um, it was a good army that played. Yeah. The models worked in both. So, um, and uh, and yeah, and then I just didn't look back. I pretty much jumped headfirst into it. Um, built up a demon's army, started playing it at tournaments, um, and then, uh, yeah, then now I'm on a podcast about <laughs> about 40k. Well, so when you, a lot happened between then. <laughs> yeah, between then and now, let's, and I think that's the focus of this is going to be between 2010 and 2021. So how did you do at tournaments? You get into playing, you've got your demon's army. Uh, were you straight into winning stuff? Did you do okay in the Aussie scene at that time? Um, so what was what was really really interesting when I started? So I started in fifth edition, and now in Australia, it's very uh, look. It's a it's a relatively it's a very big country, but um, it's also very isolated in each of its states. So not a huge amount of people travel from one state to another, um, or didn't, and uh, that was something that I was keen on giving a go. And funnily enough. I did better at events when I travelled uh, mm. than I did when I was um, at home, uh, so to speak. And the main reason I think that was is because I just didn't get the scene in Victoria. So Victoria was very um, uh, soft score heavy. Um, so there was lots of points that went to presentation. Yeah. Um, there was lots of points that went to army composition, which most people won't even know what that means. But think of it like a golf handicap. Yeah. Um, and 
I just didn't get it um, to start with. Uh, and so I was taking lists that were um, quote unquote too strong and so I was getting penalized. Uh, and looking back, I'll say rightfully so in that in that environment. That's that's what you know what the what the scene was about. And I just didn't get it and I was penalized for it. And so I you know I didn't do so great uh, in Victoria initially. Uh, and but then Victoria was about the only state that really did it. And so when I traveled I got to play the way that me and my friends played, which was no no holds back. You know, bring your bring your A game, uh, which is probably what everyone's more familiar with now, anyway, um, with the current uh, editions. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I travelled a bit uh, in twenty. Oh, I want to say it was twenty twelve. Um, I had a I had a thing where I was going to play an event in every single state, and New Zealand. I think that was when I got over to Fields of Blood. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, and and yeah, that was that was fantastic. Um, uh, that doing that, um, even though I was the only one traveling to all the states, um, kind of I ended up being a bit of a link between the states. Yeah. And so when we sent our first Australian team to what was the ETC at the time, um, I. I, I captained that team and helped pick that team because I had that, um, I guess that that interaction with the top level players in each of the states, right? Um, to some extent. Tell me about the ETC. I'm fascinated by this because I'm, I'm New Zealand is a different story than than a lot of other countries in that. You know, we we uh, we're hoping to make it next year to the WTC, um, but it's really down to who can afford to go. We've got a couple of top players, but I'm also part of the equation, even though I'm not very good, just because I I am able to get the time and I'm able to go. Uh, what's it like representing your country? Tell me about your experience, where you went, and and how that all all went down. So um, Australia is only just now, um, I, I would say, our last team. So the one that the when we went to Serbia in 2019 was the first year we've ever sent um, as close to our best team as we could. Yeah. Um, every other year um, we've sent, I'd I'd say three to four of our top players, a couple of next level down, and a couple that could afford to go. Yeah. We never we were never sending our strongest team, and it's it's um, no um, no slight on the players that went. It was just it costs a lot of money to get from Australia to um, to overseas, and so we we went every second year. So 2012 was our first year in Poland, uh, and I think we 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 kept to the stereotypes quite well. Um, so we we got there, and we went out drinking pretty much straight away, right. and. Uh, when we got to the uh, to the venue, so there's this big. Uh, they did it at a school, um, and so this massive. Um, uh, I think it was a basketball court or gymnasium of some some sort, uh, and it's packed with you know uh, Warhammer Fantasy, 40k. I think there's some other game systems in there that I don't know enough about, um, but it was just absolutely jam packed with people, uh, and they're doing the. You know, this is what you do if there's a fire, yada, 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 <laughs> like the usual kind of, um, you know, starting to a big event like that. So, And then introducing some of the people running the events. And at the end of it, they said, are there any questions? 
Now, the Australian team, now we weren't the only ones, but the Australian team had a bunch of beers with us, but none of us had, had uh, opened them for two reasons. One, it was still quite early in the morning, uh, and two, it was at a school. In yeah. Australia, you cannot drink on school grounds. So there was questions. You know, does anyone have a question? I put my hand up and I said, oh, are we allowed to drink at the venue? And uh, they said, as long as we can't see what you're drinking, then it's fair game. And so we all simultaneously pulled out one of our army lists, ripped it, so it was, uh, and then wrapped it around our beer cans, cracked the beer cans, cheers, and the whole room went wild. That was how <laughs> we were introduced to the ETC. That was, that's Australia's first <laughs> ETC. Um, that was our very first question in a formal environment right. was, was, was where could we drink? Yeah, um, very good. And then but it was an absolutely amazing atmosphere. We, we won f- uh, two rounds, we drew two rounds, and we lost two rounds, and we came you know, middle of the pack, um, which we were stoked about on our first year. It was, it was awesome. Um, we won, uh, well, we were voted um, by five out of our six opponents as their favorite team, and we won the most sporting team that you know, very first attendance, and so we were we were stoked. We had a, we had a great time. Is that because you were giving gifts of four X to uh, everybody you played against? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think um, I think it just comes back to the um, to the attitude um, that we that we had with the game. We had no intention of going there to win. Right. Um, I mean, we wanted to win, but um, we didn't think we were going to. Uh, we were just going to meet people um, and really kind of test the waters to see, you know, maybe. The next year or the you know the following year after, we could send a you know, send a team knowing a bit more about the event because um, mm. there was a there was a lot of differences between how the game was played uh, and how we played it, like with terrain and and it was just <clears throat> just a different mindset. Yeah, that we had to get ourselves into. So we went in very easygoing, uh, which generally speaking, the top tables in Australia are easygoing anyway. Whereas I think some of the European countries. Um, take it very seriously and uh, are a bit more strict on things uh, and, you know, no take backsies. Um, I don't even know if there's a European word but, for take you know, backsies. And, and <laughs> yeah, well, um, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> no retreat. Um, uh, but, yeah, we, we just went in there with a, a fairly easygoing attitude and, and I've made, you know, we've made some lifelong friends um, both in this, like, as the team, but also, you know, I've got friends now in pretty much every country in the world yeah. that I know that plays 40k, and you know, chat with them quite regularly. My uh, stepmother passed away that same year, um, in 2012, and you know, some of the some of the messages that were sent to me from uh, from people that I had met one weekend in in you know in Poland uh, was was really was really amazing and touching, and as I said, it's the community. Um, I think that is, you know, that what what's kept me going as long as I have in 40k. Uh, it's just an amazing community. It's actually that's that's a thing that comes up really regularly on this podcast and uh, with with people I speak to, uh, even the top players. You know, you talk to them about why they why they keep on playing or what they enjoy the most about the game, and it's the people, the other people in the game and the community. It's a good, strong positive for the most part positive uh, community of people right yeah and the amount of times that you know that I've had a bad game I could probably count on one hand mm. um, I'd run out of fingers and toes of the games that I would call the best game I've ever played you know and and most of the time it's at that pointy end of a tournament where I'm playing against someone 
who's equal skill to me or potentially even better, uh, and we're having a, a great game. Um, and uh, I, I think the, the key thing is you know, managing expectations. I think if we went to the ETC thinking we were going to win, thinking we were the best uh, on that first year, um, you know, we probably would have been upset with our, with our middle of the pack. Going in, managing expectations uh, is a key thing for players looking at competitive 40K. Um, and realizing um, that the players that are at the top end of 40k, I mean, if you look at players like you know, Nick Nanavati, um, Brad Chester, you know, some of the other Yanks, um, or in Australia, players like Eric Lathuris, Matt Morisoli, they are playing tons of games. They're playing multiple games a week. So I think it's about, as I said, managing that expectation of, of how you think you're going to go. Uh, and as soon as you get past that point, um, you just relax, you just have fun, uh, and yeah, that's what it should be. I mean, it's in the name. The company that makes it is Games Workshop. Yeah. It is a game. Um, <laughs> we make it competitive, but you know, when 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 push comes to shove, it's it's toy soldiers. Yeah, all of that I love. Everything everything is is exactly right, and it is. It's a recurring theme of, of you know managing expectations. If you're a, even on an individual level, if you're a player going to a tournament, just managing expectations. Let's talk about your yep. time as a TO. Um, and you didn't dive into small local events. You took on the ANZ Masters and the Australian Open and the ANZ Team Champs events in Australia. These are, these are some of the biggest events in Australia that you're suddenly organising. Did you create them? Did you take them over? How did you get involved with those? The What's now known as the ANZ Team Championship, so our ATC, uh, which is more like the ETC than it is the American version. So each state gets to send a team of eight, and New Zealand um, now get to send two teams, um, one per island, or well, close enough to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, basically that was originally started by um, a group of people, funnily enough, one from each state in Australia, um, but it was spearheaded by a guy in Canberra called Michael Cruz, um, and uh, but I was I was involved from the, the very get go. The first year was in was in Canberra. Uh, the second year we I hosted it in Victoria, and that was the um, that was the biggest event I've organised. Um, and uh, you know the getting the terrain, the tables, the whole lot. It was a massive massive deal um, uh, because I think it was long before. Uh, any kind of standardized terrain or any kind of terrain that um, <laughs> packed away nicely into tubs yeah. um, like we see these days. Um, and so, yeah, involved from the, the very start. I've been um, involved in writing the player packs for that um, pretty much every year. Uh, and then Masters was being run out of a store in Canberra and there was discussion about maybe putting it in a, a city that was easier to get to for travel because Canberra is very expensive to get to. Uh, to put it into perspective, it is cheaper for someone in Perth, Western Australia, to go to the LVO than it was to fly to Masters in Canberra. Wow, that's that, I mean, that that's you know that's the kind of context we're talking about here. So the Masters then moved to to mainly into Melbourne, uh, and I ran that for a number of a number of years. Last year would have been my last year running it, uh, if it wasn't for COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, turns out the year before was my last year running it um, without any kind of real send-off. Um, 
and then I kind of handballed that onto um, Adam Napier uh, from from South Australia, who brought it into a much bigger event. So the Masters event was more around invitational prestige rather than big. So think of it more like the um, the Invitational to Nova. So mm. Nova itself is a massive event, um, but the Invitational is much, much smaller. Um, so we would invite um, the top players from around uh, Australia and New Zealand to come to the Masters, and we tried to build a side event to make it worth everyone's while coming down. Um, but in the end, I think the reality is we just we weren't ticking all the boxes for enough people um, and so we ended up tying it in with the uh, Australian ITC Championships event which was um, even with COVID, even with the fact that COVID was, was a thing uh, and uh, some of the players couldn't go, we still got some of the best players in Australia um, that went to that event for the first time in a long time uh, and it was, was great to see. Uh, but the, the Masters event I kind of took over, ATC I was involved from the get-go uh, ran a, I ran a couple of other smaller events um, when I first kind of started, um, uh, but uh, yeah, the, the the big the big big name ones um, were yeah, so the ATC and um, and Masters. Let's talk about uh, down under pairings because I think that's where a lot of people have started to get to know you. Around about 2015, you're putting together something which wasn't then down under pairings, but it kind of turned into that. Tell us about that journey. <laughs> You have done your research. I'll, yeah, this yeah. So, I used for um, the Victorian Masters. I used a system from the US, uh, but uh, it didn't go quite as. I had some experience in web development, and so I decided it can't be that hard, <laughs> which which I think is my problem. Famous um, last words. Whenever I think something can't be that hard, I just. Yeah, um, so I started what was then called Community Comp Terminal, um, which was basically what is now down under pairings, but was rebranded at some point. I can't remember what, when we actually rebranded it. But the very first event was um, an event called The Hunt, and in that one we did um, in-app hobby scoring, so paint judges went around and, and scored people's armies on, their, on an iPad. Um, players voted for their favourite opponents and favourite presented army through their phones, uh, all on our very first event. It was well received uh, and it's kind of just exploded from there. We pretty much just were in Victoria, Australia for a, a period of time. Um, there, was a, there was a lot of hesitation from TOs to get away from their spreadsheets and their paper scorecards, um, uh, which is hilarious looking back now. Um, if someone tried to run an event with a spreadsheet and paper scorecards now, they'd probably be laughed at. <laughs> um, but uh, especially, you know, the big ones. Um, but that's what that's what we did back then. You know, yeah. that's the tools we had. So yeah, down on a pairings um, was born, and in March last year, um, uh, we officially merged with Best Coast Pairings from the US, which was meant to be a big launch, um, but, you know, COVID. Mm. Um, <laughs> again, again <laughs> with the COVID. The COVID. Um, yeah, so that was, but, it, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an amazing journey. I, I'm a big fan of stats. Um, uh, wouldn't surprise you to get along quite well with uh, the Falcon. And uh, this, you know, part of what I kept striving for in Down Under Pairings, I kept adding features because I wanted the stats. 
Um, you know, I added the very early on. I added the ability to track how many turns were being finished, who went first, um, because everyone was complaining about slow playing um, and and you know games not finishing. But there was it was all anecdotal. No one had any way of saying, okay, this is how often it happens. Um, they just all had that one bad experience they could always refer to. And see, so, yeah, I put it in um, and was. Um, uh, shocked at how bad it actually was <laughs> in Australia, but uh, I think the fact that we started tracking it meant that TOs could start tracking it, and so they I know a number of TOs, especially in bigger events, that comes around two and three, when they saw a trend of some people not finishing their games were able to focus on those tables a bit more, and say hey guys, speed up, you're not going to get your game if you, don't, you know, if you don't speed up, and what it ended up doing was actually changing the dynamic um, and uh, for the better, I believe, um, games, after we started tracking it, games started to get better um, because TOs had the ability to actually intervene before it got to an issue. While we're on the subject of Best Coast pairings, can you are you able to tell us what's going to happen with U2? Is it all going to go under one banner? Are you going to maintain the separate identities? Will there be an, an app developed that, that shares resources? What's the plan? Um, so we've got, uh, I guess, short-term and medium and long-term plans because um, it's a it's a big project. Um, so short-term, they're just acting as they were. Yeah. So Down Under Pairings is doing their thing. Best Coast Pairings is doing their thing. Um, we're maintaining Down Under Pairings. So as um, new factions come along and new secondaries and so on, we're updating that. So in the drop-down boxes in the scorecards, they're there. Um, but we're not actively putting in new features into Down Under Pairings. What we're doing is we're building a web um, front end, I guess if you will, uh, to Best Coast Pairings. So you'll have it both um, iOS and Android apps, as well as the ability to do things via a browser. Um, the, the very, very long term is that the popular features in Down Under Pairings will go into Best Coast Pairings, and we will sunset down on the pairings and have just the one system. Right. That is a very long-term plan. Um, uh, there's a lot of features that were built specifically for Australian TOs that don't really get as much traction outside of Australia, so we don't want to upset the, the loyal base that's been there, and so we're going to work out what's going to get moved across and, and when and, and how. Um, and in between that we're, we're kind of thinking about, at least very loosely, uh, is the ability of having uh, event data from down under pairings go to best coast pairings. So just a one-way direction. Um, so as you know, ITC submissions and rankings and those sorts of things just becomes easier. Um, but it would be a one-way um, one street with that data. Um, not the other way. It doesn't make sense to go the other way. Right. Well, I'm looking forward to it. it. It does make sense to have everything kind of together, even if it just avoids, you know, further down the track, the confusion of where an event might be covered or which one it's under if it's all just under one banner. But, I mean, as you said, that's long-term and, and we're looking forward to seeing that. Uh, in 2018, you wrote an article about the massive growth of 40K in Australia uh, from the year 2017 to 2018. Uh, I want to say that was on the Objective Secured website. And it feels like it's really continued to grow in Aussie is, and, and maybe in Australia and New Zealand, actually. Do you think that's a fair comment, that the growth since 2017 has been massive? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the amount of content that gets out there um, that promotes competitive 
40K means that people that are listening to podcasts that might be more casual realize that it isn't as big a step to go into a competitive event um, as they may have originally thought. Um, uh, you know, it's not the big bad wolf, um, so to speak. And so we're seeing a lot more fresh blood join the scene. Um, the other thing that was, I think, really exciting, at least pre-COVID, uh, it's hard to see, say what's going to happen in the, the coming time, but pre-COVID what I saw, um, I think it was probably in, I'm going to say 8th edition, but I, you know, I might be a little bit off the money here. Um, between a lot of people stopped playing in 6th and 7th edition um, because they it just the game had changed so much from what they were used to, uh, and a lot of people just dropped off. Um, uh, if I, you know, I talked to a lot of them, well, not all of them, but I talked to a fair few that did drop off, and it just wasn't the game they used to enjoy. And so they were playing fifth edition with their friends, uh, and then um, as I think as time go, has gone on, they've got the itch. Um, that they need a, a competitive scratch for, and we've just seen them rejoin. So we've seen some old blood come back in, some fresh blood come back in, uh, and so I think yeah, we've just seen some growth, which is which is fantastic. And I think it snowballs. Um, the as you start growing and the scene gets bigger and bigger, it all gets more exciting, and so more people join it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting actually. The the you refer to the people realizing that the competitive scene is not the big bad wolf i really want to encourage people to to just go along and play and it goes back to what you and i were saying earlier about managing expectations a guy like me goes to a tournament and i think you know if i can go 3 and 2 or 3 and 3 then i'm having a good weekend i'm just enjoying myself and get a couple of wins i'm i'm happy with that if you manage your expectations going in you're really just going into an environment where you get a whole lot of games that you enjoy with a whole lot of people that you at least have one thing in common with exactly and and i think the, the thing I would um, like to stress about people that are getting into competitive 40K, so the first round of an event is normally random. So you could be playing someone your own skill level or you could be playing the best player in the world. Take what you can from that game. If you're, you'll, you'll find very quickly if you are um, outskilled and your opponent is easily beating you because you know, they're more experienced, etc., they'll normally be quite happy to talk you through things after the game, mm. generally in a non-condescending way. Um, I know when I you know, started playing against players that were better than me, I enjoyed being able to talk to them after the game and say, hey, you know, what do you think I did wrong? You know, where could I have improved? Um, people pay good money to get coaching from some, you know, some of the best players, and quite often they'll give you that service for free after they've just beaten you. So um, <laughs> if you come up against someone like Nick Nanavati in a tournament or Eric Lathuris and they beat you real quick, they're going to do it with a smile and at the end of it, um, try to learn something from it. Yeah. And then in your next game, you might even be able to take some of the tactics that you've just been told about and say, okay, maybe if I deployed this way or if I did, you know, did this move instead, um, then, yeah, then you can improve. Uh, it feels to me like one of the big drivers for you and a couple of the other guys, but particularly for you, has been the desire to promote Australian 40K around the world, to get the standard up and get, get that out there. Is that a fair comment? Definitely. I think uh, Australia, and we're not the only ones that, that probably have the same mindset, but we're a very competitive country at anything we do. Uh, just like to state for the record, the uh, ETC in Serbia just gone. Uh, Australia won the tug of war, 
in the um, after hours events. So, you know, there's that. Oh, very good. Very good. Oh, it's good to we'll um, just make that yeah. known. We'll tick that box. That's good. Yeah. We, we, yes, we, we think uh, that we have uh, a fairly unique, uh, I guess, meta, probably because of our siloed um, states. So, you know, most of the people in Victoria play in Victorian events and some of them will go into state. And so each of the states are kind of like their own little ecosystem of minds that come up with lists and ideas, and then they go and play at another state, or some of them do. Uh, and so what we end up seeing is things like the ETC, which have a lot of countries coming into one central place to play against each other, and a meeting of the minds, so to speak, we get that in a, diff in a more localized version a lot quicker, I think. And so we, we tend to, to come up with very different ideas very quickly. We had Eric playing um, Tyranids in Queensland, just winning everywhere, and everywhere outside Australia was saying that you know, it was rubbish, and then he took it to the ETC and did very well. Um, we just lost to England in 2019 at the ETC. If we had literally one game had flipped, we would have won against England, and we would have won the event. Um, so, um, you know, it's um, it's it's a game of dice when it comes down to it. And the ETC, you've got eight games, so um, anything can happen. But yeah, we we took it to the best of them, and we did we did well. Um, so I, yeah, we think we've we've got what it takes to to get Australian 40k out there. What do you think the fascination we nerds have? with stats is all about i mean i know you're a stats guy and i know uh, you know the falcon pizza pizza big stats guy but it feels like we all just we, we love hearing those numbers man the more stats you come out with the more we're going to listen what why do you think that is i think it helps validate um our thoughts on on things whatever those things might be um and and makes us really think about the game in a different way um you know, if I look at the very simple stats, the, the, the basic ones like you know, win-loss ratio by going first, going second, you know, everyone when the new edition came out, there was all these articles, there was all these um, podcasts about oh, you know, going first or going second and which is the best one to do. And they didn't really have stats to back it up. And then when people started posting articles based on stats, it didn't always line up the way people thought it did. Uh, and as new changes came out, the stats were the easiest and quickest way to say whether or not those changes fixed things. Um, you know, if if we look at the first turn, second turn scenario, you know, did those um, did did the stats get closer to parity, or did they spread further? Um, you know, that's that's something that stats was the only thing that could answer that question. The interesting thing with stats, and you, you see it quite often, is people will jump on a stat if it backs up what they think, and then they'll totally ignore it if, they, if it doesn't back up what they already have in their mind. They can kind of choose to choose to look the other way if they want to. <laughs> you see that you see that coming up, particularly on Facebook and, and uh, you know, in the comments on Facebook quite a lot. Oh, 100%. You can, you can pick a stat to tell the story you want to tell. Yeah. Um, most of the time, we just deliver the stats and let other people make their own judgments. Um, we will shoot down someone's opinion um, in uh, when when it is not backed up by a stat. So when when someone says, "Oh, you know, this faction is doing really well um, or doing really bad," and they're not, 
whatever that you know, example was, um, then we might say, oh, but they've got a great win ratio, or they're not, you know, they haven't seen a podium in six months, or, or whatever it might be. But you know, it's very rare you'll see Pete and I, I think, go out on a limb uh, and and make these bold statements because the the stats only tell part of the story. No one wants to start their hobby playing a bad faction. It's funny because your you, stats, the more you drill down, you've got to really drill down to get to the guts of the stats too, though, right? Because, uh, for example, if I'm playing, uh, if I'm only playing games every week against Richard Siegler and I keep losing, <laughs> that's, that's, an, that's a skewed set of stats. Whereas if I'm playing my mate down the road and I keep winning, then that's skewed the other way. You've really got to, you've got to get a lot of numbers in and feed it all in to get, to get down to the nuts and bolts of what you're really after. Wholeheartedly agree. Looking at stats... Um, they only tell part of the story, um, and when you when you get down to the to a very specific question you're trying to answer, like how does I don't know how do space marines go against tyranids? The problem is there's like 50 million different types of space marine lists, and there's like three or four different types of tyranid lists, and we only have it at the like faction level. So you know. Uh, a space marine list might beat Tyranids more often than not, but how do they go against a gaunt heavy list or a gene stealer list or a monster heavy list? Um, we just don't have the information to make those calls. So that the they only tell part of the story, and um, I I'm a big advocate that I think every faction can compete. They may not be able to. They might not have four or five different good lists, they may only have one. They may have very one specific list that's any good. And you might not want to play that list, and that's your call. Yeah. But I think every faction can compete. The stats tell you if the broad public are on to the right list. Um, you know, when Iron Hands came out with their, their big bad lists and were winning everything, everyone focused on that. And but the thing is, the Iron Hand list, you could pretty much just grab any unit in the book, put Iron Hands next to it, and the list was good. Um, whereas, whereas when Eric's winning every single game of Tyranids he plays, um, you know, people didn't, you know, they thought, oh, okay, but Tyranids are doing bad. Well, how many people were paying, playing 250 Gaunts? Yeah. But well, that's a, who, and who wants to play 250 Gaunts? <laughs> yeah, no, it takes a special kind of person <laughs> like that. I'm building a Tyranids list at the moment, and I'm like, is there any way I can make the Nedzilla list work? Because I don't want to have to take 500 models to every single game. It's it's just too it, hard. Exactly. Games Workshop has had more data at to, available to them than ever before, and so they can start making some decisions in their rules writing and their erratas and their chapter approves um, that they couldn't do before other than just gut yeah um and, and even from a yeah. from a personal player point of view if you're talking that first turn second turn example is great when ninth first dropped and everybody was like oh it's first turn is too big it's too important but then what happened was once we start seeing the stats that you guys like you are producing we're able to go and you know off the, the advice of guys like nick nanavati we're able to go well actually what we need to do is build an army that will take advantage of second turn. We need to work around it. We need to look at the numbers and work around it. So, again, the stats are making us think about it more and making us better players. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. And, and to kind of just uh, lengthen that just a little bit, you can take 
you can if you look at a stat and you go, okay, first turn wins more than they lose by a lot, and you go, okay, so no matter what I do, if I go second, I'm not going to really have a chance of winning. So I'm just going to go more. I'm going to go harder on the the alpha strike ability. So I'm just going to hit them as hard as I can first turn. And what you end up doing is you skew the stats. Right. Because you end up bringing a list that doesn't do well when it goes second. Um, because you think going second you're going to lose anyway. Uh, whereas top players go, okay, all these people are building alpha strike lists. I need to build a list that can take a hit and then punch back. And so, um, yeah, there's this. Um, you, can, you can look at a stat and go down one direction or, um, or look at a stat and go completely down another direction. Um, and I think the top players, more often than not, go the right direction. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, Joshua, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, mate. Now, if people people listening to this won't know this because my expert editing will cover it all up, but we've had to go to quite a bit of trouble to get this far through um, because of technical issues. So I appreciate you hanging in there and... and um, and well done on everything you've achieved in the game. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, I, I'm really enjoying the podcast. Um, I don't know if I'll listen to this episode because I can't <laughs> listen to myself uh, on podcasts. <laughs> um, but uh, but I am really li- I'm really enjoying um, the the insights into some of the some of the people that that I'm hearing, you know, um, through other avenues and getting an idea of yeah what their what their background is and how they got into it. It's exciting. Thanks so much to Joshua Diffie for his time. He definitely won't be the last Australian on the show. Please go like us on Facebook and subscribe on YouTube to get all the interviews with all of my amazing guests. Thanks so much for listening. Happy Warhammering. Until next time, I'm Steve Joel, and this has been 40K Game Changers. (laughs) 